In June, the Supreme Court decided in National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra, also known as NIFLA, that a California law regulating disclosures and notifications by clinics providing pregnancy-related services is most likely unconstitutional. With that decision, the court may have created new uncertainty and invited new litigation regarding numerous health laws that were once assumed to be constitutional. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Wendy Parmet, a professor of law and faculty director of the Center for Health Policy and Law at Northeastern University. Professor Parmet has co-authored a perspective article about NIFLA and its potential implications for other health-related laws. Professor Parmet, can you tell us a bit about the California law that was challenged in this case? What was its goal and what did it require of clinics? Sure. The California law, which was known as the FACT Act, did a lot of things, but the part of the law that was particularly relevant to this case regulated the speech of crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy centers are clinics that are usually run by pro-life organizations and groups that provide an array of services to pregnant women and counseling and usually also try to discourage them from having abortions. The act was really in two parts. It required clinics that were, in fact, licensed clinics under California state law to inform women about the fact that the state of California provides free or low-cost reproductive health services, including abortion. In other words, to inform women of other alternatives and state services. The law also required unlicensed clinics, and many of these are unlicensed, to inform patients or clients that the clinics were not, in fact, licensed and that the employees were not licensed healthcare providers. Did the state have evidence that these crisis pregnancy centers were attempting to mislead women or were providing substandard health services? So the state presented to the court that women are, and the state believes that women can be misled by these centers, but the state did not, at least the court doesn't talk about evidence that the centers intentionally tried to mislead women. And the evidence the court found was simply not enough to show that the harm was real. The court called the state's evidence hypothetical. You say in your article that after the law was enacted, several crisis pregnancy centers sought an injunction on First Amendment grounds, but both the district and the appellate courts denied that request. Why do you think the Supreme Court decided to take this case? have been taking more and more First Amendment cases, including in the healthcare space, in the last several years. And in that sense, this case is a trend. There were also conflicts between the way the Ninth Circuit had decided this case and other lower courts around the country. So California is not the only state that required certain disclosures of crisis pregnancy centers. And different lower courts had ruled on these issues in different ways. What did the Supreme Court determine was different about the kind of speech involved in this case and the communication between providers and patients that it has allowed states to regulate in the past? Well, I think that's the question. So the court in this case talks about the fact that there is, in the court's view, no general exception from the First Amendment for professional speech or for the physicians and other healthcare providers. But then the court goes on to say 
that it has recognized and presumably continues to recognize laws that regulate the actions of professionals or professional services and that implicate speech only incidentally while regulating professional services. And the court talks about informed consent laws and malpractice laws as falling within those categories. But what's hard to understand about the court's analysis is why it's drawing the line and why the California law does not fall into those exceptions and whether certain other common kinds of laws that we have which require healthcare providers to provide patients with information, for example, about treatment options, about the meaning of mammograms, about the possibility of writing a living will. We have a lot of laws that require healthcare professionals to give patients certain information. And it's hard to understand how the court is going to distinguish those laws from the California law. How important was it that the speech being regulated under this law was related to abortion? I think that's the big question. Going forward, it's going to be interesting to see whether this case is an example of what some people have called abortion exceptionalism and whether it's really about abortion. And we've had some other cases about abortion and speech, particularly in the lower courts that don't fit neatly into the overwhelming body of First Amendment law. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is sort of a one-off on abortion or whether the court's approach to the regulation of speech in the healthcare context is going to now bleed into other areas not related to abortion. And I anticipate we're going to have future litigation to test that question, but where it plays out, how it ends up, we don't yet know. Thank you, Professor Parmet.